The sermon today is taken from the booklet titled A Collection of Very Valuable Sermons. And this one was preached in January 1675 by Mr. John Dixon at Little Govan. And uh, the text is 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6. Just turn there for a second. In this chapter, David and his followers had just lost everything that was dear to them on earth. And we come to uh, verse 6. Just get to that. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spake of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. The cases of the people of God are various and many, and their exercises and outgates are as many. And this completes the life of a Christian. David was here, an excellent man. He was a mirror of piety, holiness, and excellent experiences in communion and fellowship with God. He was a man according to God's own heart. He was the flower of the faithful and portrait of that little world wherein is contained the map of the choicest extracts of the enjoyments of God. And that through many crosses, tribulations, duties, communications, influences of the Spirit and much grace, he behooved to enter into the kingdom. Here is one of his cases. And with it, one of his exercises and therein his case is very sad he was distressed and that is no new thing to the followers of Christ but he encouraged himself in the Lord his God that is the prime of his exercises and the flower and spirit of it there are many folk that will venture afar upon God's hand in the external way but in a peculiar way and for the ensuring of it to the soul to venture soul and body interest and advantages heaven and all that he enjoys that is a great and weighty business however such venturous exploits are by the marching of by the matching of faith though i walk through the valley of the shadow of death i will fear no evil for thou art with me thy rod and thy staff they comfort me Thou wilt guide me with thy counsel, and afterwards receive me unto glory. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire besides thee. There are many things in this work that might captivate the sons of men. But Christ Jesus is altogether lovely. He extracts the beauty, pleasure, comfort, honor, an advantage of all created perfections and centers all in himself that may prove the proper object of our choice. And it is Christ's testimony of Mary when he says, Martha, Martha, thou art careful and troubled about many things, but one thing is needful, and Mary hath chosen that good part. That shall not be taken away from her. This shall be a durable portion, 
when the Son of God shall show that sweet countenance at the last day, when these elements shall melt with a fervent heat, the stars shall drop down like figs fully ripe, the world will be dissolved, and the heavens shall depart as a scroll roll together. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. David had now lost his wife and children. His substance was taken. His house was burnt. He had lost the kindness of his men. Saul was his enemy. And he was out of favor with his friends and the court. In a word, he had lost all that was dear unto him in the world. What can he do? Well, but David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. In communion with a God in Christ, and that is better than the world and all things therein. And now I come to speak a few things from the words, but briefly. First, the people of God, notwithstanding their interest, relation, and enjoyment of God, of which they may boast very much, yet may be met in this world with great distress. This is very clear in this passage. Few could parallel David for interest in God, interest in heaven, interest in duty, gifts, graces, and communications. And yet for all this he is greatly distressed. So the people of God, notwithstanding their interest and all their enjoyments in the world, may sometimes be in great distress. And second, the greatest distresses of the people of God are sometimes immediately preparatory to their greatest mercies and enjoyments. Even when the poor creature is almost sinking for fear and saying, now all is gone. Or with David in another case saying, one day or another, I shall fall by the hands of Saul. But oft times it falls out that these are the dawnings of the greatest mercies. And this is clear in David's case. He was greatly distressed in what follows. First, David encourages himself in the Lord. Second, he assembles his men, pursues and overcomes all his enemies, recovers all his spoil, and returns with triumph. So then the distresses of the people of God, when they amount to the greatest height, are preparative to the greatest mercies. Third, observe that this same interest secured in God is the foundation of the greatest encouragement to the people of God. When a man is brought low that he knows not what hand to turn to, what shall he do for a soul? If he can but cast up his accounts and see how it stands betwixt God and him, and upon this issue God befriends him, then let him venture. So then an interest secured in God is the foundation of the greatest enjoyment and encouragement from God. This is clear in David's case. He turns about and casts up his accounts, turns over the volume of his former enjoyments and experiences and runs through the promises and looks to the covenant and what had formerly passed betwixt God and his soul. I wot well one day, says he, I was interested in him, but David encouraged himself in the Lord. And it is that which resolves every word, a great word in the original. It runs thus, He encouraged himself in the Lord of hosts, who made the world, heaven and earth, etc. He gets God on his side. And then he says, Though an host should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. And though ten thousand should come against me, my, why the Lord is on my side. 
The angel of the Lord encampeth around about them that fear him and delivereth them. Then he encouraged himself in the Lord his God. That is to say, though there were no more people in all the world than myself, God who made the universe is my God. If there were no more promises made, he is my God for all. So let the world do what they will. If ye will serve God, it shall be the comfort of my heart. But if every one of you should turn your back upon my God, I cannot help that. For me and my family, we will serve the Lord. That was a choice resolution. It would perhaps weary you to insist long upon these truths. Therefore, we shall only mention or speak a few words upon each of them at present. And first, although one should be a choice Christian in respect of interest, relation, and enjoyment in God, and may even have that epitaph that was once given to Titus, the Roman emperor, the delight of mankind, yet with David here they may fall into great distress that may make them go weeping and mourning with a heavy heart and even sometimes be so despondent that they can have no comfort at all. And yet at last they will go to heaven singing that blessed song, which is the matter of praise and admiration to both angels and men. In speaking to this truth, I shall notice some of the principal dismal-like provinces that the pe- providences that the people of God may be met with in this life. And first, it may fall out in providence that a child of God may be torn from the very nearest of his relations, that his affections are most set upon. Christians, after all that they can plead in this respect, may be so crushed that they shall not have one of these friends to vent their love and kindness unto. Or it may fall out that the greatest disaster may fall out in his own house and family. I think, says the poor believer, I am a world's wonder that all things go thus wrong with me. For all the friends and relations I have, I cannot find anything of the favor of God there. And yet this may be previous to the greatest mercy the poor creature meets with. For if you turn the other side of the leaf, you will see there is mercy in that providence. I shall observe two particular instances to prove the truth of this. First, Jacob and Esau were two brethren. Besides, were two twins, which lay in their mother's belly at one time together. And yet, a difference falls in between them. When they arrived at manhood, Jacob flies for his life and Esau pursues for it. And it falls out that in flying from his brother, Jacob has nothing but his clothes on his back and his staff in his hand. For with my staff I passed over this Jordan. He was in great distress, and all this was occasioned by his elder brother that should have been his kindest friend in the world. And so the greatest distress of the people of God may sometimes proceed from their nearest relations, and yet that was preparatory unto the greatest mercy. For when he has gone into the fields, he falls asleep, and there he meets with God in another manner than ever before. The angels ascending and descending on the ladder, and the Lord speaking from above it in a wonderful way. And he says, This is surely none other but the house of God. And he called the name of that place Bethel. J. 
Jacob became an excellent man upon the back of this. His former distress led him to this, this, his mercy. It is said that he, or rather Abraham, went out not knowing whither he went, for God led him and, and freed him from that distress that he was in. The second instance is of David. He had many crosses, and yet he had as many mercies as crosses. But he had some crosses extraordinary. A son was born to him called Absalom, who was the bravest man perhaps in the world, and David had the greatest delight in him. He was a man of the greatest perfection from the crown of his head unto the sole of his foot. And yet he, who was the glory of his father, became his greatest heartbreak. Yea, he sought his father's life. And when David fled from him, he falls a-weeping and goes up the ascent of the Mount of Olives barefooted and the people with him. And the reason was his own beloved son had conspired to take away his life. So you may see that it may fall out in folks' own families that may occasion their greatest distress. But secondly, these dismal-like providences may flow from something in providence that seems so intricate that the people of God are not able to master these difficulties and may occasion such an astonishing damp upon their spirits that they shall not know what hand to turn to. This we may see to be the case with Israel when they were about to enter the Red Sea. The sea was before them and the rocks on every hand and they knew not how to escape. That was a great distress. It was an invincible-like difficulty. What do they? They cry unto the Lord and say to Moses, Because there were no graves in Egypt, thou hast taken us away to die in the wilderness. Where was Aaron? Caleb, Joshua. <clears throat> Their spirits are now drooping when the people are in such invincible-like distress and difficulties. But providence orders a great outgate for them here, though thou mayest think that the counsel of men cannot invent an outgate of this kind in the case thou art in. O believer, yet thou mayest come through and the, and the next day see all thy enemies drowned. There is a poor man or woman in a great temptation from the eclipse and overclouding the views of his former interest in God and enjoyments of his presence and sits down and weeps and cries, Alas, it is a hell upon earth. I shall never get out of this. And there is none in the world that can comfort me. Nay, had they all the people of God in the world about them, the result would be miserable comforters are ye all unto me. Now, no help below the clouds. Former experiences will not do. Secret duty will not do. And Christian prayer and conference and fellowship will not do. Nothing but a cast from his own hand from heaven can do. And that only can cure the distempered soul. He, with his own arm, cut the sea asunder and made the people go through both the Red Sea and Jordan on dry ground. The words of Moses, the song of Miriam, or the courage of Joshua in themselves without this could not have done it. 
And thirdly, it sometimes falls out that the people of God may be met with great eclipses of God's countenance by desertion. The child of God may be at that with it. Will the Lord cast off forever? Will he be favorable no more? Psalm 77, 7. Or with He-Man in Psalm, 7, uh, Psalm 88, 5. Free amongst the dead, like the slain whom thou rememberest no more. And that also seemed a dismal-like case with the church. In Lamentations 3.8 When I cry and shout, he shutteth out my prayer. If it were but the suspending of his presence for a little, it seems to be for a long time. So eclipses of the sweet countenance of God brings great distress upon his people. Psalm 42.1 As the heart panteth after the water brook, so doth my soul after the living God. Nay, my tears hath been my meat day and night. He spent some time in that course when he says, When shall I come and appear before God? If I knew the time, it would be refreshing to me, but it so lengtheneth out that I doubt if ever I shall see the days that I have seen before. Now this brings great distress. My soul is cast down within me while they say continually unto me, Where is thy God? I am in great desertion, and there is something that occasions this. First, the Lord hides the light of his countenance, <clears throat> and the man walks in darkness, as it were, at midnight, under gospel dispensations. He goes to the preaching of the gospel, but he meets not with God there. He cannot go unto that light that formerly shone upon his soul. And second, his life is eclipsed when the power of the grace of God is taken away from his soul. Many folk hear a sermon, yea, many sermons, but they are like those poor folk that died by the dike side not long since. In some of your remembrances, when there was a kind of famine, the poor things died for hunger, though it was not altogether for want of bread, but of the blessing of God upon it. For the more they did eat, they grew like skeletons, and so they starved, as it were, for hunger, never being satisfied. And so a number of people under gospel dispensations have perhaps preaching enough, but nothing of the blessing with it. Perhaps they will tell you a note of the sermon, but look unto them, and you will see them dying, and the word of this bread in their mouth. They are not fat and flourishing or growing up as calves in the stalls, like Christians in old age, fat and flourishing. But they are dying with the bread of the word of God in their mouths, which is a sad symptom of the want of the blessing and light of God's countenance upon it. It is not enough to run after preaching, for many follow that way that have little or no lively frame within them for all that. And third, there is an eclipse of the comfort and consolations of the Spirit which is a sign of deep desertion. You know, it was one of the blessings of our God by his promise when he was taking his farewell of the people and followers in this world. I will send the comforter unto you and he shall teach you all things. This is the comforter that brings consolation to the soul of the believer. Now, when one wants that, he wants God's kindness. And there are many who go to preaching, but their hearts are not, as it were, skipping within them 
There are many who go to secret duty, but when they come out of the closet, their hearts are not warmed by the comforts of the Holy Spirit in duty. And fourth, there is a palpable eclipse of the peace of conscience that passes all natural understanding. There are many who, when they eat their meat, are troubled, and when they're in fellowship with others, they have no peace of conscience. This is, this is a sign of the want of the light of God's countenance, and thus desertion and the lengthening out of it occasions the distress of the people of God. Fourthly, the people of God may be met with this dismal-like providence, that is, sad disappointment on the back of great experiences. The two disciples going to Emmaus were choice Christians. Christ joins himself unto them and, and asks, What manner of communications are these that you have with, with one another as you walk and are sad? Master, say they, it is, it is because we are in distress. Says Christ, what ails you? They give him an account of it and say, Art thou a stranger in Jerusalem and hast not known the things that are come to pass in these days? Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, we trusted that it had been he who should have redeemed Israel. And besides all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Our very hearts are like to break because of this disappointment. So then disappointments upon the back of great experiences bring the people of God into great distress. So it is in Isaiah 26:17, says the church, we have been travailing. We thought that we should have brought forth a man-child or some great thing, but behold, we have brought forth nothing but wind. We have not wrought any deliverance in the earth. This was a great disappointment when they were expecting some great delivery. I have no doubt, but the children of Judah who were carried to Babylon and were not acquainted with the history of the time of their delivery thought that within four or five years the Lord would break the bonds of their captivity. But when it came to 20, 30, 40, or 60 years, then it is said in Psalm 137 that they went out and wept by the river of Babylon and could not so much as think upon music or the instruments of music because their expectation was broken. There are many great promises made concerning the deliverance and restoration of the church, and many of the people of God frustrate their own mercy by spiriting of their hope. And when they are disappointed at this time, many of the people of God begin to faint because the Lord delays deliverance to his church. Say they, shall we all die in this wilderness? Is there no door of hope? Shall we not enter into our former possessions and enjoy our wanted privileges again? It may be that every one of this generation may die before the recovery of God's work in these lands. Yet that day when it comes shall be transportingly glorious. See Psalm 24. At the close, a seed that shall be born shall do this. And let me tell you that some of you covets in point of Christian fellowship to be very cautious. And why not? Let me tell you another thing. They may have five or six years of hearing, of preaching, and sporting themselves about the congregation, and yet perhaps one word dropped touching them on the outside at last may do the turn. And as to the recovery and revival of the work of God, when ye are all rotting in the graves, solemn assemblies shall be kept and esteemed, 
and perhaps those yet unborn or the poor children that cannot yet discern between their right hand and their left shall be the persons marching up with the ark of God and dancing for joy before it. Remarkable is that instance of 600,000 besides the Levites, women and children, of the children of Israel that came up out of the land of Egypt. There was not a soul of them save Caleb and Joshua entered the promised land. But their carcasses all rotted in the wilderness. And yet their offspring, when they went over Jordan, had brave days. And they fixed their twelve pillars in the midst of the water as monuments of God's great deliverance. There being no more to do but to pierce their enemies with the sword and divide their land by lot amongst them. We are very faint with disappointments when it pleases the Lord to cover his table and set up down upon it the glory of Israel. Then every stranger will say, Now we expect he comes. Yea, he is at the door. And this is the forerunner of the greatest mercy to the church. Yet thou must not depend too much to see that, lest thou be frustrated in thy expectation, and so thy spirit be ready to sink within thee for sorrow. And fifthly, there may be this dismal-like providence that may occasion great distress by losses, crosses, afflictions, and troubles, both upon the inward and outward man. In this case was Job. He was a good man, had many experiences and much communion with God. And yet it fell out that the, the Lord takes all from him. Yea, that was not all. Some strife falls in betwixt him and his wife. After all, his substance and children are gone. A difference takes place between him and his natural but Christian friends. They were the choicest men, perhaps, then in the world, and yet they mistook his case, calling him a hypocrite, and he could not endure that. He was not overmuch distressed with all this until he got another cast in Providence, and that was the lengthening out of these trials and the hiding of God's countenance therein. We may say that such a man as Job could be broken, if we may say that. He was a mirror for religion. Yet we find him in the third chapter of, the, of his book, cursing the day of his birth, and he speaks many strange things unto God. Oh, he was in great distress, but in chapter 23, 3, he comes to express the language of his soul, Oh, that I knew where I might find him. All his distress was nothing to that. He was never pressed at the heart till he finds a great distance betwixt God and his soul. Afflictions, crosses, and external miseries, and these all lengthened out in desertion, occasions great distress. And you must not think much of it when you are met with these things. Many of your neighbors have been so dealt with before. It may be thou art poor. Well, thanks be to God. There is many poor, at least who were poor folk in heaven. And many were rich and became poor and grew far richer again than before, and yet ventured far. Job was in distress, but he overcame that ere he died, and so became a victor in point of trial, both respecting internal and external difficulties. But sixthly, there is another dismal, like dispensation of providence, and it seems to be the sharpest of all. 
That is when God pleases to let the devil and the corruptions of his people loose upon them. Even those latent corruptions that they thought had been now chained up and hemmed in. So that the poor creature that seemeth one day to be victorious over a body of sin and death is now trodden under the feet of these enemies. And that causes great distress and is made to cry, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Romans 7.24 There is something here that discovers his misery. There are several things discovered in, in this case. First, there is great sins discovered. Psalm 40, verse 12 Innumerable evils compass me about. Mine iniquities have taken hold upon me. They are more than the hairs of mine head. Second, there is an awakened conscience that cannot be well covered. The noise of it becomes so terrible. And third, there is the wrath of an angry God. There is nothing but wrath discovered. Alas, says the poor soul, I thought God and I should never have been at variance again. But now, to my cost and sad experience, I find it other ways. And fourth, there is some kind of impenitence, and in this case, the poor creature cannot be broken-hearted enough for sin. And fifth, there is a suspension of the intimations of the Lord's favor and wanted loving kindnesses, so that the poor believer cannot attain to the days of old and the years of ancient times. Sin prevailing, an angry God frowning, an awakened conscience tormenting, and a hard heart drooping. Oh, sad, sad. And yet a child of God may be sometimes under such a case as this. See Psalm 38 for a proof of this doctrine. Now, a word of use in seeing the Lord has his own children in this world. How comes it to pass that they are oft times in so great distress? <clears throat> I answer first, he does it for a trial of some few particulars, which perhaps are in thy case. First, for the trial of the graces of his own spirit. For instance, when a man is in great distress, the Lord is trying him if he can believe in such a case or hope in such a distress, for the people of God are called to the lively exercises of the graces of the Spirit of God, especially when their souls are in anguish and distress. And secondly, he does it to see if thou wilt put these graces in exercise, that when thou art in great distress, wilt thou take hold of him by prayer. For still, the more that God's people were afflicted, they prayed the more. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. And thirdly, he does it to try if they will go the whole round of duties. To be as Job was when he said, Oh, that I might know where I would find him. I would venture to wander all the world over to find my God. It was a noble resolution in Hannibal. Says he, I shall wander all the world over to find out mine enemies. This was magnanimous in a pagan. So when a Christian, in the way of duty, is pursuing after God in ordinances, it is a matter, a great matter, for a man under restraint to walk after the way of a Christian. I will run the ways of thy commandments when thou hast enlarged me. But what if he enlarge thee not? It is that which by thy distress he incites thee unto. In the second place, he tries you with distress to complete you. The world is not complete by perfection, but it is complete by seeming imperfection. All the creatures 
in the world, if all the creatures in the world had been made of one size and, and proportion as to their perfection, it had not been complete. But it consists of devils and men, good and bad, wise and prudent, men and fools, besides all kind of creatures, nay, all sorts of venomous beasts. Oh, say ye, the world would have been better for the want of these. But by your favor, it is his work. Such imperfect things complete the work. If thou wert still weeping, thou would not be a complete Christian. Therefore he brings thee under failings and suffers temptations to prevail over thee and makes thy spirit to droop so that thou art weeping and sighing one day and glorying the next day and triumphing in the Lord. And that makes thee a complete Christian and tends to complete his work upon thy soul. Neither would it be a complete church if it were not so, that some are imprisoned, some deprived of their worldly substances, and some even brought to the gibbet for the cause of Christ, and all who make, and all to make a complete church. We may say in some cases episcopacy was a happy trial to the church to render it more complete, for without such a trial many would have dwindled away without life. But the trials, troubles, and crosses of the church also render her more complete, so that thy fainting, doubtings, unbelief, temptations, etc., and thy victory over all these makes thee, as it were, complete. If thou wert going trembling faintly to heaven, thou wert not complete. And why? That is for these rather that are above than these below. But this makes thee a man like thyself in matter of profession. Thirdly, he tries thee that the whole of thy preparation may be running in the right channel. That is, for all the advantages he brings thy soul to hope for, yet he brings thee under distress that thy seed may spring and his barns may be filled. There is a great difference between a springtime and the harvest. Springtime is a pleasant time, but summer, harvest, and winter make up the glory of the year. The good man keeps the seed in his barn till the spring come and then the weeds spring up and if it were still summer they would overgrow the good grain but the winter kills them so that they do not overgrow the good ground and so he waters the ridges of the souls of souls by these troubles to make them fruitful and oh happy is the man that goes forth bearing precious seed and weeping that is in grief and trouble and because of a springtime he shall return with his sheaves rejoicing. And so Isaiah 66.10 Rejoice ye with Jerusalem, and be glad with her, all ye that love her. And Ezekiel 9.4 Go through the midst of Jerusalem and set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and cry for all the abominations that are done in the midst thereof. Poor folk, they are like to break their hearts but I am come to make them the seed of the church. Some folk are not content to see people mourning and very angry to see them weeping, but when it falls out on account of their duty, troubles are the seed time of the church. There is a number of professed Christians that remain as unconcerned at the afflictions of the church and people of God as if they were living in the wilds of America. And a number that are living betwixt this and the West Seas are as unconcerned with the sufferings of Christ in his mystical members as if they were living there 
and their own consciences bear them witness if they be bringing forth much fruit to God. But perhaps God will send a blast that will blow up that undermining thing that tends to the destruction of the church. A second observation that I, that I should speak a little to is that the great distresses of the people of God are preparatory to their greatest mercies, and it is very clear that in many of the people of God their greatest distresses have been previous to their greatest enjoyments. Then we must not cast at the distress of the church and poor afflicted people of God. But passing this at present to hasten, there is third a thing that I shall just name and come to a close, and it is this. The same interest in God is the best foundation of encouragement for the people of God in time of distress. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. It was his interest in God that occasioned this. If folk would be rightly fortified against distresses, there is your interest. Psalm 46.1 God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in the time of trouble. We will not fear, though the earth be removed. I will not be afraid, and why? Because the Lord has become the sure shelter of his church and people. Now, there are a few things that pave the way for a, a distressed child of God in securing an interest in him. And here's the ca- here the case may be with some. If I could get my interest secured in God, I would not care what became of me and all that I have this day in the world. So there are some things requisite in order for the better securing this interest in God, which may ser- serve as an application for the shutting up of the subject at present. And first, thou must cast thine eye, O Christian, upon thy former and past experiences, either upon the communications of the Lord's kindness, the outlettings of his love or his power, exerted for thy forthcoming in, in thy journey heavenward, For instance, David encounters his enemies and his adversaries grow, namely Goliath. He defies the armies of the living God that like to faint for fear of him. David comes and ventures on a strange attempt in order to damp the adversaries and raise up his own spirit. And what does he? Says he, I will venture. Oh, says the king of Israel, thou art but a stripling. What canst thou do? But says David, I will venture, O king. I was feeding my father's flock, and there came a lion and a bear, and I slew them both. And the Lord that delivered me out of the paws of the lion and the mouth of the bear will also deliver me out of the hands of this uncircumcised Philistine. There was an intimation of of the Lord's respect unto him by a former experience. And upon that, says he, I will venture my blood upon him. And afterwards, he entered the lists with Goliath. He said unto David, Am I a dog that thou comest to me with staves? And he cursed him by his gods. I will give thy flesh to be meat to the beasts of the earth. But says David, Hear me one word. Thou comest unto me with a sword and a spear. But I come to thee in the name of the living God, whose armies thou hast defied. And that upon an old experience. So, in a distressed case, when the people of God are brought very low, yet they may ensure themselves an adventure on difficulties by recapitulating former experiences. The day was once when Christ met with my soul, and once I was obliged to say, The Lord is my God, 
And now I will venture my life and all that I have this day upon that. If the Lord call me to it. I was at such and such a communion and there was such an inbreak upon my soul of his loving kindness that I cared for nothing. So reflect upon that old experience. Look back to him whom thou vouchest to be thy God in former times. And why may he not be thy God now also? And second, the people of God ought to relieve their spirits in distress by casting their eyes upon him instead of all relations in these days. He is thy father, thy husband, thy elder brother, thy best friend and sympathizer with his people in all their afflictions. And what privilege is this to be thus related unto him who is the king of saints and the glory of the church? And not only so, but thy own God by old experiences. Take him then in all the relations in which he holds out himself unto thy soul for securing thy interest in him against all distress. And this will occasion great encouragements. How much did David encourage himself in a view of these relations when he says in Psalm 18.2, The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my strength in whom will I trust. My buckler and the, and the horn of my salvation in whom I will trust. And in this he encourages himself to bless and magnify the Lord. And third, take a view of the Lord in his divine attributes. That may help to hold up thy soul, O believer. For he is mighty to save, and to save thee and all thy distresses and intricate difficulties. He is also infinite in counsel, and so can set thy foot on a rock, and establish thy way before thee. Thou canst not tell what will become of thine own case or the affairs of the church of Christ. Wilt thou then cast all these over upon the infinity of God? He sits at the helm of affairs and steers the rudder and so points the ship whithersoever she is to go. And though we should be overclouded with never so many discouragements, yet God is the Lord. See the 97th and 99th Psalm. The beginning of both is the Lord reigneth and let the earth rejoice and the people tremble. His hand is lifted up. And if you look on his attributes, so you will see his mercy therein. Psalm 103.13 Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth all that fear him. And think ye that he will lay more upon them than they are able to bear. He may lay troubles upon them and trials and what the matter that is his way with the church but what follows he relieves his people and delivers Jacob out of all his troubles oh sirs if we were rightly fortified against the distress of the times the children of God might have a pleasant life this day it is God that justifieth and who may lay anything to the charge of God's elect let him then give a cast of this of his kindness to his people and secure their interest in him. It is he that justifieth me, may ye say. And oh, but ye are happy, O believers, that have an interest in such a powerful and wise God. He is one that guides his own with his everlasting arms around them. As the walls are around about Jerusalem, so the Lord encompasseth his church 
and he that neither slumbers nor sleeps watches over her. I'll tell you that the faintness of spirits proceeds from your want of faith. O ye of little faith, how long shall I be with you? When the centurion came unto me, says the Savior, about the case of his servant, I bade him go home. His servant would be healed. He did so and found him whole at the set hour. But now ye doubt of my power and abilities. How long will ye be without faith? If ye had faith but as a grain of mustard seed, ye might say unto this mountain, Be thou removed, and be thou cast into the sea, and it shall be done. This seems to be the worst disaster that many Christians meet with. They will not venture their soul's case upon him. O ye of little faith, why do ye doubt? Some Christians will venture their soul's salvation upon him, but have not confidence in him concerning his church and interest in the world. But do ye think that he has not an equal interest in both? And has he not promised to build the walls of his Jerusalem and to put on the top stone thereof with shouting, saying, Grace, grace unto it? There is no ground to doubt, but Antichrist and all his anti-Christian crew shall yet be brought under the feet of the living God. And all these anti-Christian doctrines now taught and applauded by men shall yet be trodden underfoot. For he must reign until he have put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. 1 Corinthians 15:25 and 26. He shall tread under his feet the nations, piercing unto their very heart with the soles of his feet, driving them to pieces as a potsherd is broken to shivers. And if ye were rightly acquainted with him, ye would have the faith of this. And though we be under a cloud for the time, by the present discouragements, what the matter of that? Yet we cannot mistrust the Lord. That has, prom that has promised he shall reign in spite of all his enemies. There are brave days, O Christians, coming, when what concerns himself shall be accomplished. The days are coming, that these poor, despised people that are now weeping, sighing, sobbing, and desponding shall be up. Poor, peevish, spirited folk that have no faith in God think that religion wholly consists in sighing and drooping. But no such matter. It is the part of the people of God to look up unto the captain of their salvation who through suffering was made perfect. He has promised to do all things for you that have an interest in him thus secured. David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. Follow his example and all shall be well. But we shall say no more. But to his name be the praise. For free newsletters and a complimentary copy of our large, discount, mail-order Christian book catalog specializing in Reformation resources, contact Stillwater's Revival Books. On the web, we are at www.swrb.com. By email, swrb at swrb.com. Our mailing address, 4710 37A Avenue, Edmonton, that's E-D-M-O-N, 
T-O-N, Alberta, abbreviated capital A, capital B, Canada, T-6-L-3-T-5, by phone 403-450-3730, or after February 1999, with a new area code, 780-450-3730. And be sure to take advantage of all the free books we offer on our webpage. It may also interest you to know that James Rennick, as he was about to be martyred for the cause of Christ in his covenanted reformation, spoke the following words, which mirror the six terms of communion in the Reformed Presbyterian Church and the Puritan Reformed Church in our day. He said, Dear friends, I die a Presbyterian Protestant. I own the word of God as the rule of faith and manners. I own the confession of faith, larger and shorter catechisms, some of saving knowledge, directory for public and family worship, covenants, national and solemn league, acts of general assemblies, and all the faithful contendings that have been for the covenanted reformation. I leave my testimony approving the preaching in the field and defending the same by arms. I adjoin my testimony against popery, prelacy, Erastianism, against all profanity, and everything contrary to sound doctrine and the power of godliness, particularly against all usurpation and encroachments made upon Christ's right, the prince of the kings of this earth, whom alone must bear the glory of ruling his own kingdom, the church, and in particular against the absolute power affected by his usurper that belongs to no mortal, but is the incommunicable prerogative of Jehovah and against his toleration flowing from his absolute power. That quotation was taken from John Howey, the Scots Worthies, 1781 edition, page 547, and was cited from the recently published book by Greg Barrow, entitled The Covenanted Reformation Defended, which is also uh, free on our webpage, or which can be purchased through Stillwater's Revival Books. Thank you.